This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour services under the covering title of The Finished Work. And we have an ambitious program. We're beginning with Genesis and, well, I don't say we'll end up at Revelation, but uh, we've got the whole purpose of the ages in detail, as it were, to sketch out for us. One of the needs in this day is to be assured that in spite of all the difficulties and problems and disasters and things that happen in daily life, there is a purpose. And God has told us some features of it, and some we have to take on trust. There are some things that he tells us we now see by means of a mirror enigmatically, just like riddles. But then shall we know, even as we are known. Habakkuk prayed and got no answer. He was distressed and he was worried. And then he said, I'll wait and see what he says unto me. And then God spoke and said, The vision is for an appointed time. Though it tarry, wait for it, for it doesn't tarry. You're only thinking it is. And meanwhile, in the interval, the just shall live by his faith. Well, that's more or less where we must do. We must be. Now, the ground of our faith is a written revelation. And that written revelation is always under suspicion and attack. And consequently, while we don't want to waste all our time in a mere defence, there are occasions where we have to speak and consider the basis of all this. Now on this board, as you see, we have sketched out, just in the diagrammatic form, what we've been looking at. That in Genesis 1 verse 2, when it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness is upon the face of the deep, that word is the word, the bottomless pit, that we get in the last chapter but one of the book of the Revelation or chapter 20, rather, in Revelation. And in both cases, a serpent is, is immediately discovered tempting. In, Revela- in uh, Genesis 3, Revelation 20. So it begins and ends with some antagonist to the purpose of God. And now we've, we've also seen that in the reconstruction of the earth, not the creation at the beginning, but the reconstruction in very recent times, only about 6,000 years ago, the earth was submerged in a great cataclysm and God said, let the earth appear, and then said, let us make man. Now there are evidences of a man-like creature, the head of the uh, creation, long before Adam came into this world. But there's no evidence that man was ever made in the likeness and image of God until that man started God's purpose of redeeming grace. Well, now here comes the business. Here comes the point. Shall we assume, straight away, that the record is true and get the doctrine about Adam? Or shall we stop for a minute and say, well, this is going to be very cut and dried sort of subject for a dinner hour meeting. But it may be very, very important that we should all be sure about this. (laughs) I don't suppose anybody with literary tastes would he let to go and spend days and days sitting in Somerset House? But would you say, therefore, Somerset House is a monstrosity and get rid of it? Well, look out, friends, because you couldn't prove your legitimacy. You couldn't prove where you were born or whether you ever were born. You couldn't speak about your parents. You'd have no record. And if you own a house, it would be in jeopardy because how can you prove the title deeds? Don't you see? There are some who come to this book and say, oh, I start reading it, there's such a lot of funny names, what's the good of a book like that to me? Well, I dare say, if I could see my own pedigree and yours, it has some funny names in it, but it's very important, isn't it? 
You see, the whole fabric of the present society would collapse and go to pieces. From the queen on her throne to the poorest inhabitant of London, unless we have this legal basis that keeps the whole society together, family life and church life and business life and property and to do with the relationship of nations all depends upon documentary evidence. Now, if you like to turn in at the record office, you can actually see the signature of Shakespeare or you can see the Doomsday Book of William the Conqueror or if you go into the British Museum, you can actually see a letter written by the father of Belshazzar who's mentioned in the Book of Daniel or Cyrus who's mentioned in the prophet Isaiah or, oh, there it is. So, you see, we cannot possibly sweep these things aside. Would you say so? What? Well, friends, Supposing you're one of that type of person that says, oh, well, give me the Sermon on the Mount and that's good enough for me. I say, oh, wait a minute, friend. Who spoke the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, you say, Jesus Christ. Oh, I see. Who was Jesus Christ? Do you know? You see? Well, the very same Gospel that gives you the, the Sermon on the Mount says that Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, right the way down unto Jesus was born at Bethlehem, the son of David. And then Luke's Gospel takes it on, not merely the son of Abraham and the son of David, but the son of Adam. Oh, but you say, we're not bound by these things. I say, oh, wait a minute. Now, listen. We come to the writings of the Apostle Paul. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a very modest man if I say, you know, he was a, a bit of a cut above me. Would you? Well, I think it goes for most of us, don't you? We realise when we're reading the writings of that man, quite apart from inspiration, that he was a man of parts. He was a man of extraordinary ability, dedicated to the glory of God. Well, now he said to Timothy, remember, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, according to my gospel, he commits himself. Oh, yes. The Apostle Paul says, my gospel is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the seed of David. Well, you say, well, David, I can accept him. Oh, but wait a minute, friends. David, the son of Jesse. The son of Jesse was the son of Judah. And Judah was the son of Jacob. And, uh, where, where are you going to end? Now, the, the Bible, the Old Testament that we have, the order of the books is according to the Greek translation. And quite good. But the original Hebrew, if you look at one, we've got one on the shelves there, the last books in the Old Testament are the books of Chronicles. Now the Chronicles are the whole public record of Israel up to date, up to that time. And it starts with these words, the book of Chronicles. Adam, Seth, Enos, and it goes right solidly through eight chapters until it brings it right down to the time when the man wrote it and sums it all up and says, these are the Chronicles pedigree. The very people who heard them for the first time could trace their own ancestry back. You and I, we, we have listened to our parents. Most of us have listened to our grandparents. We've heard them talk about things that happened before we were born, and their grandparents did the same. These things are integral. So you see, it, although it may sound like a waste of time and I'm not giving you much to rest on for a moment, this is basic things. And as we put the word Adam at the beginning and Adam at the end, we've got to say, well, is it so? Supposing we listen to this, these words. For as in Adam, 
all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now you say, um, I can't possibly endorse this Adam and Eve story, uh, but you've got a hope of one day entering into heaven or future life or something. Oh yes. But where do you get your basis for it? See, as in Adam all die, comes before even so in Christ should all be made alive. You're out of this phrase because if you've got no Adam, you've got no Christ, you see. Because they're integral, they're part, you can't dis- disassociate them. Or I turn the page in the same vital chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and he picks it up again, he's not dropped it. He says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So Paul endorses the second chapter of the book of Genesis. He doesn't say, of course, nobody believes that now, but I'm only slipping that in. He makes it the basis. As it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. But what's he going to say now? The last Adam was a quickening, life-giving spirit. Well, there could be no last Adam if there's no first one. That's impossible. So the Apostle Paul has pledged himself, committed himself, to say that the book of Genesis in chapters 1 and 2 are absolutely basic to the teaching that Jesus Christ died and rose again and those who belong to him will have everlasting life in the day to come. You see, the whole thing hangs together. It's utterly impossible to take one part out without the rest collapsing. But he goes on further. He says, The first man is of the earth. Earthy. Where did you get that from? Well, he's made out of the dust of the ground. It's a primitive way of saying that our bodies derive all their composition from a few inches of the soil of the earth on which we stand. And if you don't believe it, well, where does your food come from? Where all the vitamins come from? Where all the minerals that you must have come from? Where does the iron in your blood come from? It's just a simple way of saying a very wonderful fact. So he says the first man was of the earth. Earthy. But he says in this flesh and blood you not inherit the kingdom of kingdom of God. You must all be changed. And you must be changed in the likeness of the risen Christ. And what about him? It says the first man was of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The second man. Well, two heads of the race. There's Adam put there and failed, who was a figure of him that was to come, who gloriously succeeded. So the second man can only be accepted if you believe the first man. The first man was of the earth, the second man the Lord from heaven. And then he says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, the where did you get that from? God said, let us make man in our likeness and image. And again it says elsewhere, in the image of God made he man. So man has a dignity set upon him, although it's defaced and battered about. I dare say you've got some coins in which there are a good deal of the wonderful inscriptions and even the face of the king or queen's a bit defaced, but there it is, it's there. So James even says, in the similitude of God made he man, and he was telling them they were doing some dreadful things. Oh, there's been a fall. We're conscious of something within us that tells us so many times there's something gone radically wrong. Or one of the words for sin is simply to take the wrong path and end up where we are. So we have again here then, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. But you see, it's all tied up. If you, if you 
have no idea and won't believe the image of the earth if it was ever a true one, but then the rest of it doesn't follow. So you see, it's not possible for us just to sweep these things aside. Now, if you go through the book of Genesis and mark out the number of times we have pedigrees and um, legal elements, you'll realize that it's absolutely essential. Now, if you read one little story, there's the death of Sarah, and Abraham makes a contract with the people to buy a piece of land. And that piece, that chapter in the book of, of Genesis tells you that the it's bounded on this side by that property, it's bounded on this side by that property, just the same as you've got a deed today. And Moses says that she was buried in Hebron, but the name was Kerjath Harbor in that day. He's got a document in front of him, and he's telling you that, although I, I don't would be telling you now it was that particular place, because we changed the name, he puts it down. So you see, it's utterly, utterly imperative that we should come to some decision about this. Is the story of Genesis just a myth and a legend and we do what we, make a nose of wax of it and makes it mean what we will? Or is it a movement on the part of God that had in view the great conflict of the ages, man put there, first of all, as a test, and then as a type of him that was to come? That is the way the Bible speaks. We sang a hymn just now, if one man's sin involved the race, and brought death in its train, how much more? Well, that's Romans, the fifth chapter. As by man came death, so by man came resurrection. If by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, you speak to anybody who has no knowledge of God, say, can you give me a reasonable, logical reason why man, with all his abilities, with all his possibilities, with all the wonders of his body and mind, should come into this world, live somewhere in about 70 odd years, and be buried and put into a grave. Can you give me any reason for such a monstrous idea? Is there any answer to it? The only answer that's reasonable is that man failed, and God is going to make a new start. And so, the essence of the gospel is that you or I, or the rest of us, in Adam, belong to a fallen, dying world. But God has held out hope to you and to me, and sent his Son, and his Son is the Lord from heaven, his Son is the last Adam, and the second man, and whoever puts his trust in him, passes from death unto life. And you say, well, that's all very well, but I've got a lot of problems, oh friends, who hasn't? But you see, let's be reasonable. I don't know whether you've ever had to be rushed off to hospital. I have. There was I. The ambulance came. Two great chaps came and picked me up as I was made of straw. Put me on a stretcher. Away I went. And I didn't say to them, here, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're taking me off to that hospital. What's the name of the surgeon? What's his qualifications? What sort of nurse am I going to have? How do I know they know their job? Well, by the time they've also answered all those questions, you know what they have to do with me? Bury me, I should be dead. You see, friends, don't hesitate and say, look, until I know who Cain's wife was, I'm never going to trust in Christ. When I say, I know who Cain's wife was, friends, it doesn't worry me. You do. 
Mrs. Kane, good enough for me. Why should God go out of his way to answer all these silly questions and you're dithering about on the edge of death and destruction when Christ is your life and peace? So I had to go all this time with just as little time he had talking about legal documents. But most of you have got a birth certificate and you must produce it sometime. Some of you have got a marriage certificate and you know it's very necessary. You may have title deeds to a property. So don't you dismiss this idea that the Bible's filled up with a lot of dusty old documents. Your life has to be filled up with a lot of dusty old documents and if you hadn't got them, you'd be in a poor state. Well now, we ought to say, well now, friends, we're living in the times of the Puritans. We'll turn the hourglass and we'll start all over again. But then we should all get into trouble with our business and we couldn't do such a thing as that. So would you tolerate that for this afternoon? I wanted to get this on tape that this is a, a question that cannot be debated. It's no good opening the book and saying the basis of it is untrue, but tell me some of the wonderful stories. We don't want to live in a world of make-believe. Either it is true that as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, should all be made alive, or it's false. If it's true, blessed be God, let's go on with it. If it's false, let's go home, because more or less we're wasting our time.